Well, good morning. My name's Steven. Do you find it hard to admit that you are not perfect? I mean, none of us are perfect, but for some reason, we all desperately try to pretend that we are. It's a human dilemma that it seems like all of us struggle with at one time or another. About a year ago, in March of 2020, Pope Francis got up and preached a sermon that was super controversial, at least part of it was. And he was speaking to, uh, to the Catholic Church, who at that point was just starting to realize the implications of what it meant that the whole world had just been locked down due to COVID-19. And it was a church who was questioning, well, how do we do the things we've been told we have to go to church to do? Confession, communion. And to those people who were saying, how do we worship God correctly? This is what he said. He said, if you cannot find a priest to confess to, speak directly with God, your father, and tell him the truth. Say, Lord, I did this and this and this. Forgive me. Now, to us, Protestants, this sounds correct, right? We're like, yeah, of course, that's what we've been saying this whole time. Uh, but to Catholics who have been taught that they need to go to a priest, which I would say there's some, some strength in acknowledging our imperfections to other people on the other side of this. But to them who are now told that they can't go face to face and confess their sins, this was a huge thing to overcome. And the Pope saying that you could confess straight to God without a priest? Well, to many in the Catholic Church, this sounded like craziness, if not some level of heresy. It was a little too far for people to understand. You know, there was a young priest who was struggling uh, with doing confessions, and so he asked an older priest that he knew to come and to sit in with him while he took confession. So after about an hour of listening to the young priest take confession, the, the older priest took him aside and said, okay, here's a couple of, of tips for you. Why don't you try, you know, leaning back and, and crossing your arms like this, or you could rub your chin and uh, saying things like, I see, or I understand. And the young priest was like, that's great. Good, good. Thanks. And so he went back and he finished his confession and he, and he saw the older priest about a week later and he ran up to him and he grabbed him and he said, thank you so much for your help. Confession has been so much better this week. And the older priest just looked at him and patted him on the shoulder and said, well, I'm glad that it helped. You know, I, I thought it would be a lot better than leaning forward, slapping your knee and saying, wow, tell me some more. Confession is an interesting thing, right? But to those people who were saying, I need to have that space to be able to tell somebody else what it is that's going on, to confess this, to work through this, I love the heart that Pope Francis has as he speaks to them. He says, the God of tenderness will heal us. He will heal us of the wounds of life and the many ugly things that we have done. God welcomes every repentant sinner with open arms. It's like going home. And I love that. It's so powerful. Thank you, Pope Francis, for those wise words. You know, this Wednesday is Ash Wednesday. 
which marks the beginning of Lent. And Lent is a 40-day period plus a few Sundays that leads up to Easter Sunday. And it's this time of, of prayer, of confession, and of giving. And most of us know people who give up meat on Fridays, right? We may have even been to a fish fry once or twice in our own lives. A lot of us know people who give up social media over Lent because we see those Facebook posts start to pop up that say, see you in 40 days. Uh, we may even know one or two people People who have given up things like alcohol or caffeine or chocolate over Lent because after engaging with them during that time period, we wish that we would not have and that we could have avoided them for those 40 days. Uh, but giving up things isn't actually the point of Lent. That's part of it, but it's not the point. It's about taking 40 days to focus on Jesus so if every time that you crave chocolate or you instinctively go to open up Facebook or Instagram on your phone, you think about Jesus instead, well, then I guess giving it up uh, is doing its job. But personally, I love adding practices for Lent, you know, volunteering a few more hours a week, uh, giving financially to a, an organization that's, that's loving your community well, uh, adding some extra Bible reading or, or prayer practices into your life. Those are the types of things that I find really give me life and, and build me up during this time. You know, the idea for Lent, though, it, it came from the early church way back, not that far after when Jesus was alive. And what they would do was leading up to Easter, they would encourage people who were going to be baptized, as most people at that time were baptized on Easter Sunday, they would encourage them to take a few weeks to focus on Jesus, to focus on this process that they were undergoing of going from death to life, because that's what baptism is, dying to sin so that you can live eternally with Jesus. And so they said, take a few weeks and focus on that. Get your heart ready. And so people would do that. And then when they would go through the baptismal process, I love this visual, that many of the pools that they would go through had stairs on both sides. And so they would actually walk down the stairs as the pastor was saying something along the lines of them uh, dying to their sin. And they would go under the water and they would be buried uh, literally by the water. And then as they would come back up on the other side, they would be walking into new life in Jesus. And so it was out of this idea of baptism on Easter Sunday that Lent, the tradition, was born of praying and confessing and giving and focusing ourselves. The main part of Lent was never supposed to be just fasting. It's focusing, focusing on our deep need for forgiveness, focusing on Jesus's reply to us with mercy and with love. And Ash Wednesday starts all of this. It's a day of repentance, of reflecting on our own humanity, our own sin, and our need, our deep need for Jesus. One of my favorite preachers of all time is John Chrysostom, and he lived about, oh, 1,800 years ago. But listen to his wise words. This is what we do with houses. We keep constantly repairing them as they wear old. You should do the same thing for yourself. Have you sinned today? Have you made your soul old? Don't despair. Do not despond. But renew your soul by repentance and tears and confession. By doing good things and never cease doing this. Friends, this is a good time 
for us to do some home repairs, to do some real solid work on the places where the wall's gotten thin, where the roof started to leak. Let's admit the obvious together. We are not perfect. My hope for us this morning is that we'll walk away with a deeper understanding and uh, admittance of this reality. I have sinned. I need saving. And Jesus came for me. Let's pray together. Jesus, I just thank you for your presence here with each and every one of us in our homes uh, in the spaces that we're at right now. And I pray that you will come. Give us, give us space for, for this hour to, to be vulnerable, to, to open ourselves up, to acknowledge the reality uh, that we need you, that we're not always perfect, but that we need you. And then we ask for you to come and to breathe life into us, that we can go from death to life. We love you, Jesus. We are yours, and we ask for you to come. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want us to look at the example of Nehemiah. We're in this series called Renew, Building Places of His Presence, looking at Ezra and Nehemiah from the Old Testament. So if you have a Bible, open up to Nehemiah chapter 1 and chapter 9. That's where we're going to be. And if you're on our online platform, go ahead and click on the Bible tab underneath the chat and read along with me. Here's what it says in Nehemiah 1.1. These are the memoirs of Nehemiah. In the late autumn, in the, 25th, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was at the fortress of Susa. And Han and I, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who had returned from, from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. And they said, things are not going well for those who returned to Judah. They're in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down. The gates have been destroyed by fire. Nehemiah says, when I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. And then I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands. Listen to my prayer. Look down and see me praying night and day for your people, Israel. I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We've sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, decrees, and regulations that you gave us through your servant, Moses. Nehemiah heard what was going on, and his, his, his first impulse was to weep. And then he cried out to God to do something. He fasted, he prayed, he confessed his sin and the sin of his people. And after he finished his prayer, and it goes on for a little bit longer after this in chapter one, he asked God to move and to give him favor because you see, he wasn't going to just stay there. He was getting ready to move, to do something actionable. He was going before the king to ask the king to send him and others back to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls. So he asked God for favor and for God to move and God heard him and sent him home 
gave him that favor. Now, I want to jump ahead to Nehemiah chapter 9, and this follows what Sarah talked about last week. Last week, she talked about joy. She talked about uh, this party that the Israelites had for seven days after they heard the word of God, and then they were so overjoyed with his goodness and with his love for them that they threw this long party. And now listen to what follows this huge party. They go home and they come back and hear what happens in Nehemiah chapter 9. On October 31st, the people assembled again. And this time they fasted and dressed in burlap and sprinkled dust on their heads. How is that for a follow-up to a party? Uh, You know, this picture kind of reminds me of seminary. I went to an Anglican seminary. That's where my wife Sarah and I met. And uh, it was my first time being in a liturgical church environment. I grew up Pentecostal, uh, did not do any of the smells and bells, so to speak. Uh, Very different style of church. And so this was my first time there. And on November 1st of my first semester... Uh, they did a more uh, traditional uh, All Saints Day service. And, the you know, they would usually wear robes when they led in chapel, which was every day, morning and, and evening prayer. Uh, but this time they went a little bit beyond. So I walked into the chapel on that morning, sat about halfway back, and noticed something was different because I could smell the incense. Well, I wasn't really prepared for what came next. You see, then they took out the thurible, which is the incense container that's on a chain, uh, very fancy looking, and the guy leading the service took it and swung it back and forth so that the incense, you know, goes all over, the smoke's kind of around the room, and this went on for a couple of minutes, and meanwhile, everybody in the chapel was kind of bowing towards the, the thurible, the incense, as this was going on. And I lost my mind. I was standing there thinking these people had lost it. These idol worshipers who were bowing to this thing that he was waving around. I had no idea what was going on, but it was weirding me out. And believe me, Sarah found out about it because afterwards I went and in our relationship of all of like two months, I went off on how weird and uh, idolatry and just all this stuff about it. I I've soon learned that it, what they were actually doing, and, and I calmed down a little bit. But the irony of the whole thing is that I grew up in a church where we had fake swords that we would dance with during worship. So I guess people in glass houses shouldn't probably be throwing stones. But anyway, this all reminds me of that time when I hear that sentence from Nehemiah. They, they ripped their clothes, they threw ash on their heads, and it got a little weird. And then in verse 2, it says, Those of Israelite descent separated themselves from all the foreigners as they confessed their own sins and the sins of their ancestors. They remained standing in place for three hours while the book of the law of the Lord, their God, was read aloud to them. Then for three more hours they confessed their sin and worshipped the Lord their God. Then the leaders of the Levites called out to the people, Stand up and praise the Lord your God, for he lives from everlasting to everlasting. Then there's this really long, uh, rich prayer of thanks for how God has shown up throughout their history and done amazing things. And then they repent. And then they ask God to move. 
So to recap, they have this huge seven-day party. Then they go home and they come back and it's confession time and it's somber and it's serious. And Nehemiah leads the way that he lived. I think that's one of the things I love the most about Nehemiah and Ezra is that they lead the way they live. He himself confessed and gave thanks and then asked God to move. And so when he's leading the people of Israel, he has them confess and give thanks and then ask God to move. Uh, he, he knew that he wasn't perfect and he was content and comfortable leading the people of Israel and admitting that they were not perfect as well. Because you see, they were sinners. And so are we. And so I want to talk about sin for a minute here. Romans 3.23 says that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. When Jesus teaches the disciples how to pray in Matthew and in Luke, he tells them to pray this, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. In Matthew 9.13, when Jesus is debating some of the other religious teachers, he says to them that he came not to call uh, the, the righteous, but the sinners. Jesus had a strong understanding of sin. And honestly, in our culture and time, we don't have the same understanding, mainly because I think sin has become something that it may not have actually been defined as. Uh, it's become a bad word that others would, be, uh, would want to avoid. But naming sin isn't about calling other people out. It's not about pointing the finger at somebody else. It's not about demeaning or shaming other people or, or a group of people. Sin is about acknowledging that we all fail, that we all struggle, and that it, we act in ways that separate us from God, that separate us from each other in ways that sometimes hurt ourselves and hurt other people. But sin isn't just about our actions. It's about what's behind our actions, about our motivations. And if, in fact, if I can make a big uh, statement, all of sin stems from this one claim. Let me throw this one claim at you. I am in charge. All of sin comes from that thought. And there's an acronym for sin, S-I-N, that I think spells this out beautifully, uh, Copyright privileges go to other people who have created this, not me. Uh, but the S stands for shove off God. I for I'm in charge and N for no to your rules. Shove off God. Get out of my way because I'm in charge and I'm done listening to you. When Adam and Eve sinned in Genesis chapter 3, the way that they sinned wasn't just by eating a fruit that was from the tree. It was by saying that God should not have been in charge, that God wasn't to be trusted to be in charge, that they needed to be equal, that they needed to know what was going on. They became convinced that God was withholding something from them. And so they ate of this fruit and then immediately they go and they hide and they run away from God because they know that they did something wrong and they don't want to deal with the consequences. Shove off God. I'm in charge. I don't want to deal with your rules, but I do feel bad about it. And I don't want other people to find out because you see sin has this consequence that it makes us want to hide and not show our true self to others. And friends, honestly, I would say that hiding is never a good thing. Hiding never implies good things are happening. You know, for example, when my wife and I first adopted our daughters, my diet got a lot 
better. I stopped eating whatever I wanted to eat, mostly because we didn't want to keep it in the house for them. Uh, so I started eating a lot more vegetables, a lot smaller portions, and that was good for me. And I quickly lost about seven or eight pounds until I realized that I could actually eat whatever I wanted to eat after they went to bed. So I started buying Reese's Pieces and some chips and some red vines and I would store them in my nightstand next to our bed, happily munching on them when I was reading or watching TV late at night. And let me tell you, those seven or eight pounds came back really, really fast. And I learned that hiding has consequences every single time. I love what Pete Gregg wrote about this. He says, the thing that keeps God out of our lives is not our sin. It's our compulsion to pretend to cover up our nakedness with fig leaves, to climb trees in order to not be seen. And in response to this, what we need is a practice that, that frees us from hiding. And God, in his goodness and his graciousness, has given us confession for that very reason. You know, psychologists say that self-awareness is 90% of change. And confession, I would say, is uh, an aspect of self-awareness. This is what I've done, I'm naming it, and now I'm wanting to change. And in 1 John 1, 8 and 9, we see this spelled out from a spiritual perspective. If we claim that we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sin to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all wickedness. The practice of confessing that we have sinned so that we can be free and positioned to receive the goodness, the love, the grace of Jesus is a beautiful gift that Jesus has given to us. Rich Mullins is, is a favorite uh, musical artist of many. And he used to say that when he was a kid, he would, he would get saved. He would, he would give his life over to Jesus about once every year when he would go to vacation Bible school and he would walk down the aisle to receive Jesus. And then when he was in college, it was about once every six months because, you know, we've all been to college. And then when he was in his 40s, it was about once every four days because you realize how much you screw up. So friends, I want to invite you. Let's admit the obvious together. I am not perfect. I need a savior. And Jesus came for me. You know, Nehemiah fell to his knees. He cried out for forgiveness because he knew that he had sinned and that he led the people of Israel in confessing and crying out because he knew that they needed that as well. We read that they stood for three hours and confessed their sin. That is a lot of confessing. I don't think many of us have stamina for that, but it was a good thing for them. And out of, because out of that place, they were able to acknowledge their, the goodness of God and their need for God to come and to move among them. They had space opened up for God to come and do his thing. And friends, as we approach Lent, I want to encourage us to live this out in our lives. Learn from the example of Nehemiah and Ezra. We all sin, but Jesus came for us who are sinners. We're not left alone in it. We're not rejected. We're not singled out. We're given mercy and love every single time. 
And in a couple of minutes, I'm going to lead us in a prayer of confession because I think it's such a gift to be able to live out. Because I want us to have space to engage with Jesus more deeply. But I also want to encourage you to be intentional this Lent. Use this 40 days to do something, to start something good in your life. Use it to to volunteer, to to serve others, uh, to to give financially. Instead of buying Starbucks or Dunkin', take that money and give it to an organization that's doing good things. Uh, Show the love of Jesus in really practical ways. Read through the gospel. Start a new uh, practice of prayer in your life. Be intentional about your space, your relationship with Jesus. There was one woman who, who wrote, As you discover your faults and sins, make no effort in your own strength to overcome them, because this is a waste of time. Rather, abandon yourself immediately to God. And I am absolutely positive that you cannot correct the smallest fault you may have. Your only hope is to abandon to is abandonment to God. Rest assured, God loves you and he will take care of you. Friends, this morning, let's admit the obvious. I am not perfect. I need saving. And Jesus came for me. Before we worship, I want to invite you right now to pray a prayer of confession with me. The words are going to be at the bottom, so read those along with me. And let's pray this together. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. And Jesus, I just ask that you would come right now and bring healing from the effects of sin. Bring your freedom from the control that sin has over our lives. Give us courage to step out of our hiding places into the light, into places of wholeness and healing and health with you. Bring your mercy, bring your love into our hearts. We just say that we love you, Jesus. We are yours. In Jesus' name.